Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. When you Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Right across night. Australia. When you on the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning and welcome to Monday, the start of a brand new working week. Nice to have your company. It is the fourth day of April. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM and, of course, TuneIn and iHeartRadio and on Prawncast. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Plenty to unpack from it. Uh, What about that surf yesterday and those poor people on north of Voca Beach? They spent the whole afternoon cleaning up sand and debris after the wild and dangerous surf thrashed the east coast over the weekend. Uh, Some of their beachfront homes, or at least the backyards of them, were uh, pummeled by uh, that east coast low. And we even had a a dog walker swept into the surf. Uh, The walker and Fido were okay, and and some of the, the surfing was wonderful for the experienced board riders and For those lucky enough to be in seaside towns such as Kiama, the blowhole, looking spectacular. Anyway, it was nice to see some sunshine. There'll be a bit more of it over the coming days. But then, I think from Thursday, we're in for more more rain. Another 100 plus millimetres falling across the east coast of New South Wales. We'll get to that for you a little later this morning. Look, anyone who's been dudded by a cowboy builder will feel vindicated knowing one of the construction industry's dodgiest figures has been permanently banned from working as a private certifier. I've spoken to MPs, including David Shoebridge and others. They say the private certifiers are the problem. That's why we have issues such as the mascot towers and the opal towers out there at Homebush. Anyway, this bloke will no longer be able to work as a private certifier. He's copped the heaviest sentence handed out to a private certifier in 20 years. I'll get through that story for you. Um, On the political fronts, well, Scott Morrison, they're all squaring up now. Everyone's having their crack. The PM accused of using racial vilification in a bid for his seat of cook. Look, I know this story. I know it to be true, even though Scott Morrison will deny it and apparently wants to take a lie detector test. Really? Anyway, I'll get through that story for you as well. And some rubbish that was written by um, Joe Hildebrand over the weekend. I can't make head nor tail of what this bloke's on about. Certainly a lot to unpack here, including what the hell is he saying? I'll read you out this quote, and I, I put it up on Facebook. And many of you also tried to decipher this rubbish. Here we go. By cutting loose the lunatics on the left, Albo is cleaning up like a Dyson V12 on a fistful of bogan dust. And if he romps home in mid-May, it will be as much a repudiation of woke and lunar left as it is of the Morrison government. Yep, that was published. What a load of bullshit. Anyway, in education, it's been revealed that taxpayer-funded grants are helping private schools to pay for state-of-the-art facilities, such as on-site cafes, fitness centres and wellness studios. Isn't that nice? Hey, some schools in Western Sydney and further west in New South Wales can't get bloody air conditioning. And some students continue to swelter into mountables that were meant to be temporary, but have proven to be permanent. 
Meantime, we seem to have plenty of money from a federal government point of view to build on-site cafes, fitness centres and wellness studios for some of the more exclusive private schools. Absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, I'll get through that story as well. All of your feedback on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning, the latest news from Air News as usual, and some great tunes. Here we go, Monday morning. Nice to have your company, Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. On this Monday, it is April the 4th. Don't forget to leave your comments on our Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Big story over the weekend. Uh, Some great news. Sophie Monk got married. No, not that story, this one. Uh, You know, the last couple of years, we've been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's meant that, unfortunately, Anzac Day hasn't been able to be commemorated in the spirit that it should be and, and usually is. But things have changed for 2022, which is fantastic. So there will be no restrictions this Anzac Day, okay, the 25th day of April. The government announcing over the weekend there'll be no restrictions like we saw last year. So no caps on people attending Anzac Day marches or commemorations, which is wonderful. Also, two up. Well, that will be played for three days. Middle Eastern veterans will be honoured and events will be restriction-free, as I say, for the first full-scale Anzac Day since the pandemic began. After last year's events were scaled down and in 2020, we, you know, how we all... Uh, lined up at the bottom of our uh, our driveways, which was wonderful, though. You know, we did it online; it was great. But it's not the same. Anyway, this year as well, the beloved Anzac traditional game of two up will be made legal across New South Wales pubs and clubs for the entire long weekend, the Saturday and Sunday preceding Anzac Day, which, uh, of course, is on a Monday this year, Monday. April 25. Veterans Minister David Elliott, who's finalising the New South Wales Government uh, submission for the Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide ahead of releasing the interim report on Anzac Day, said the initiative gives back to veterans who missed out during the pandemic. He said over the weekend, these Anzac Day events are vital for the welfare of our veterans and many of them were very distressed by missing outs or inhibiting commemorations over the past couple of years. So the New South Wales government is giving them their two days back, the other, you know, so the last couple of Anzac days they've missed out on. Anzac Day 2022 will be a significant event as many veterans reconnect with their mates to attend traditional annual reunions, marches and dawn services across the state. Two Up, a game popularised, of course, by soldiers in World War One, is banned in New South Wales on all days bar Anzac Day. And I've never really understood why. Why do we ban Two Up? Anyway, Hospitality Minister Kevin Andrews... No, scratch that, Kevin Anderson... ...said the game will bring together veterans and families in a much-needed boost for pubs and clubs... Two Up will give an added incentive 
for the people to head to their local on the Anzac long weekend and get involved in playing or watching this traditional Anzac game. Now, along with the extension of two-up and previously announced free transport during the Anzac weekend, RSL New South Wales is also planning to celebrate veterans of recent Middle Eastern conflicts at the first march since Australia's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, which is good. Now, the RSL president, Ray James, said the young veterans will have a place of prominence in this year's CBD march, and showed they should. With no restrictions on hospitality venues, the CBD march itself, or travel, and the dawn service at Martin Place open to the public, 2022 is certainly shaping up to be the biggest Anzac Day celebration since 2019. Welcome back on this Monday. Don't forget to leave your comments on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, Well, you know, I'm getting married this year. Uh, I'm not having a registry service, but they are available, the so-called no-frills services, which are provided by the New South Wales government. Long regarded as the the kind of Franklin's or no-frills option, if you like, for couples needing a quickie, that is a quick and cheap wedding, the once basic registry service is at a fancy overhaul, we're told. Keen to encourage couples wary of tying the knot in style during a pandemic, the New South Wales government has added food packages and cellar doors to its online booking options. And for those wanting something a little more flash, couples can opt for a micro-registry wedding package, which includes reception, flowers and photography. Packages for each option will come at a set price. A move the New South Wales Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages believes will make it less stressful for couples than having to choose each individual service. With the cost of a registry wedding starting at just 469 Is that all? Oi, Ash, 469 bucks. Why didn't we... You should see the look I'm getting. All right, anyway, I'll start that again with the cost of a registry wedding starting at just $469. Customer Service Minister Victor Dominello said couples had no reason not to get hitched in style. Organising a wedding is exciting, but it can be time-consuming and stressful, with the average couple often spending more than $35,000 on their big day. $35,000? We haven't spent that much, have we? Registry weddings start at $469, and this new online service takes the hassle out of the process by allowing couples to customise their dream day with a click of a button. Uh, Now, couples can simply go online and create a wedding wish list with the registry tailored to suit their style and their budget, including booking a ceremony location, reception venue, accommodation, floral and photography packages. The revamp includes a one-stop shop online service via the New South Wales Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages that includes a wish wish list picker. (laughs) Say that three times fast. Now, that will uh, navigate 
the legal requirements of marriage while also offering added extras to suit different styles and budgets. The number of couples getting married plunged during the pandemic and there have been 399 registry weddings this year so far. 399. Well, look, I suppose it is an option. Either that or eloping. Is it too late for us to Again with the filthy looks. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back on this Monday. It is April the 4th. Look, regular listeners and followers of mine know that I don't get a little uh, alarmist over the whole COVID-19 situation, but I am aware we are still in the midst of a pandemic and uh, I can't help but notice the the figures of new cases are rising on the daily, not only here in New South Wales, but elsewhere around the country. Uh, Now, I read over the weekend there is this new drug which was approved provisionally by the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, earlier this year. Anyway, it's moving into stage three of its trial. And this new drug is, well, it's an antiviral drug. It's a pill, so you take it orally. Here's the story anyway. It's good news. A new antiviral drug could eliminate COVID-19 in just three days. A promising development, of course, amid rising virus cases across Australia. And as I say, they are rising. Yesterday, there were 20,000 new cases in New South Wales alone. The study conducted by Dr Julie Stritsky and colleagues of the pharmaceutical company Merck & Co. showed oral antiviral drug, and I hope I pronounce this correctly, so please excuse me if I don't, Molnupirivir. Yep, it's commercially named Tariffs. Uh, maybe Tariffs is a lot easier to say than Molnupirivir. Anyway, it has the ability, whatever you want to call it, to eliminate the COVID-19 virus by the third day of treatment. That's a good thing, yes. Comparatively, study participants who received a placebo took up to five days or even longer to eliminate the virus. Now, the good Dr. Stritsky concluded that a five-day course of Molnupirivir is effective in rapidly eliminating COVID-19 from the body, provided it is administered within five days from the initial onset of symptoms. Results on day three of the treatment showed the virus wasn't present in any of the 92 participants who received the drug. Trials of Molnupirivir are now moving to phase three, The Therapeutic Goods Administration, as I mentioned, provisionally approved Molnupirivir, or tariffs, for use in January this year. That's here in Australia, joining the United States and the United Kingdom. There you go. Marcus Paul in the morning. If you would like to send me a message, you can. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or, of course, leave your comments on our Facebook page. (laughs) 
Yeah, welcome back. It is the fourth day of April on this Monday, Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, just a couple of stories that I'll get to on schools uh, in New South Wales. I'll get to the uh, the issue of private schools being given truckloads of money by governments to, you know, for wellness centres and all the rest of it. <laughs> Ridiculous. I'll get to that a little later in the show, but front page of yesterday's newspaper... Uh, There are some problems up there in the Blue Mountains. A New South Wales police strike force set up to investigate alleged sexual assaults linked to Katoomba High School has charged one student with multiple serious offences. The team faced the Children's Court on eight charges of sexual assault without consent, one count of intentionally choking and another of common assault, to which he pleaded not guilty. The magistrate will deliver the findings in May. Now, it was revealed Strike Force Wallala was established back in 2020 in response to a complaint about alleged sexual violence and threatening behaviour of students, and its investigations continue. Angry parents have posted flyers around town, and I'm, I'm looking at one of these now, these flyers. Uh, They are urging current or past pupils of Katoomba High School to report rape, sexual assault or sexual harassment to the strike force. The school has been the subject of an ongoing 15-month rape-related investigation by the Department of Education, the flyers read. Parents whose daughters have attended Katoomba High School should check on their welfare regarding this issue. It's quite serious stuff. The teenage boy at the centre of the court case was charged in January last year over the alleged rape of one of his female peers at a party in the Blue Mountains back in 2019. The matter was first reported to the school and then police. The New South Wales Department of Education launched a professional and ethical standards investigation into Katoomba High School on December 9th, 2020. That investigation is also still ongoing. The investigation began after the girl's parents complained that the school had failed to have the boy spoken to by police for allegedly harassing the girl before the uh, before he allegedly raped their daughter. Okay. The department official said in a letter to parents, a PES investigation has commenced into this matter and will be examining whether any staff member at Katoomba High School has engaged in misconduct. The length of the investigations led to parents sending a complaint to the Department of Education and the New South Wales Ombudsman, giving the very, given the very serious incidents being investigated by the Department of Education, they should have completed this investigation in a very short period of time, the parents said in their complaint. Their failure to do so has put the safety of female pupils at risk at Katoomba High School. Another parent with daughters at the school said she had not been made aware by the New South Wales Education Department or Katoomba High that an internal investigation was underway and labelled the secrecy as appalling. Well, I agree. She said to the Daily Telegraph over the weekend, when I heard this, I was deeply shocked and concerned. The school should have a duty of care to tell us about this, not the rumour mill. A New South Wales Department of Education spokesman said it was, quote, not appropriate to comment on the allegations. It is not the first time the school has been engulfed in a scandal 
with a teacher jailed after having sex with a female student back in 2019. What the hell's going on at the top of the mountains there? Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. It is a Monday and the fourth day of April. Well, this is the kind of story uh, that gives cosplay Matt Canavan and others who are enamoured with the fossil fuel industry uh, uh, a little bit of a... uh, Coal exports have hit a record of $110 billion despite Chinese bans. Here's the story. A record $110 billion in Australian coal is expected to be exported by the end of the financial year. That is despite China's infamous ban on the Australian resource, uh, creating a huge royalty windfall. And... It will only be the second Australian resource to crack the $100 billion export mark after iron ore. That's according to the Resources and Energy Quarterly March edition. (laughs) It's a mouthful. Anyway, the skyrocketing earnings. Will we see any of it? Anyway, the skyrocketing earnings. Apparently we will because that, if you listen to those on the, uh, you know, the right, they say, well... The reason you're all getting your $250 and your tax offset is because we have record coal sales and iron ore exports. Where was I? The skyrocketing earnings comes off the back of booming prices driven by critical energy shortages in parts of the world, including in China last year. Metallurgical coal used for making steel hit a record $650 a tonne recently and thermal coal reaching $280 a tonne, well up from the budgeted price of $130 a tonne and $60 a tonne. That's, yeah, absolutely well up. Um, Resources Minister Keith Pitt said the results highlighted the importance of coal to the national economy. Well, of course he would. Keith Pitt. Uh, don't, Don't they call him Coal Pitt? Anyway... He says coal is making a significant contribution to a very successful year for Australia's resources and energy sector. Critical global shortages in energy and some resource commodities have led to the high prices for some of our commodities. These earnings will keep the benefits flowing to all Australians, including through royalties the states use to pay for services such as hospitals, roads and schools. We all really rely on. Well, that's true, yes. And that is good, uh, but remember, we could be making a hell of a lot more if we focus, perhaps, away from the fossil fuel industry and put that knowledge and know-how into developing, you know, uh, renewable energy. Uh, maybe that's for the future. Hmm. Um, the, the figures have been seized on by the coalition as they head into a tight election race. They say the resource was critical to jobs and economic opportunities. Blue-collar workers turned on Labor at the 2019 election after perceived attacks on the coal industry focused around the Adani mine in Queensland. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese, though, has significantly shifted the party's position and has stated the coal export industry will continue under a government he leads and the jobs of miners will not be cut short by his policies. Well, of course not. They were never going to be cut short either by Bill Shorten, had he have been elected. It's a transitioning phase that we need to start planning for. Anyway, coal exports only reached about $40 billion in 2020 and 2021. So we're going to smash that, which is good. 
Iron ore became Australia's first resource to crack the $100 billion in exports in a year, last financial year. Well, if you want to comment on that, you can do so on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to be with you on this Monday on Starter FM and, of course, your favourite streaming app, be it iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or however you're listening to us, maybe on the Prawncast. Please, if you are, share it, okay? If you downloaded the Prawncast, share it to your Facebook page so we can get more people tuning in. All right, I, I talked about this uh, last week, and um, look, my regular listeners will know that I, I can't for the life of me understand why governments, federal governments in particular, fund private schools. I, I just don't get it. Uh, they shouldn't be. Uh, some argue, oh, well, you know, with uh, these private schools, they take some of the pressure off the public sector. That's fine. But people pay an arm and a leg to send a child to a, a private institution. So they should not be, these institutions, that is, which do very well, thank you very much, um, you know, they shouldn't then receive, in my opinion, taxpayer dollars. But they do. And there was a story about it on the weekend, which, you know, uh, obviously made my blood boil. Considering, in the public sector, we still have some schools in the western suburbs of Sydney and, and in the west of the state, you know, students still permanently in demountables and no air conditioning. But the federal government can find coin, you know, to build everything bar a sauna and a pub inside a private school. Private schools are being handed taxpayer-funded grants worth millions of dollars for infrastructure projects such as on-site cafes, fitness centres and wellness studios. Wellness studios? It's quite woke, isn't it? Anyway, despite independent and Catholic schools charging parents thousands of dollars in school fees, about tens of thousands of dollars in school fees, many are also accessing federal government funding to help pay for their state-of-the-art facilities. The details of the scheme come as the teachers' union prepares to make the inequality, or sorry, inequitable school funding a federal election issue. Well, I hope they bloody well do because it's an important issue and something that needs to be stamped out. And I hope if Albo gets in, the Labor Party, I hope they put a stop to this rubbish. Taxpayers at a federal level should not be funding public uh, private schools. It's as simple as that. Anyway, uh, let's have a look. Under the Federal Capital Grant Scheme, the Commonwealth determines the funding amount each year for capital works in private schools, with the private school authority in each state and territory deciding on who gets what. The guidelines used to state that the program was to provide funding to non-government primary and secondary school communities to improve infrastructure if they do not already have enough capital resources. Critics say the revised guidelines are now a catch call with the scheme aimed at improving infrastructure to benefit disadvantaged students while making provision for needs arising from new demographic and student enrolment trends. What the hell's all that about? Bit of gobbledygook. Look, at the end of the day, again, these private institutions should not be receiving federal taxpayer money. The more open-ended guidelines have been blamed for a capital funding arms race among the top private schools. 
A school in Glebe, St Scholastica, or Scholastica's College in Glebe, well, they received $2.5 million for offices, a library and multi-purpose space this year after being handed $8 million in 2019 for art, music, dance and drama facilities. Also a cafe and a fitness area. That's according to the My School website. The school draws more than half of its students from the top quartile of socio-educational advantage. In other words, the parents can afford to fund this shit themselves. In most recent financial uh, reports showed that it had $8.5 million surplus in 2020 and almost $50 million in net assets. So why have they got their hands out there at St. Salos, what Scholastica's in Glebe? Considering they've got a, a multi-million dollar surplus. And I don't know, what was it? Eight and a half million dollars surplus and $50 million in net assets. Sell one of your freaking assets. Unbelievable. All right, well, they're not the only ones. Let's pick on another school, shall we? Uh, Trinity Christian School in the ACT received $800,000 for a performing arts centre, while Corinna Christian School in Tamworth got half a million dollars to extend its performing arts centre to provide gallery seating and a cafe. Wonderful. New South Wales Teachers Federation President Angelo Gavrilatos said the capital grant scheme funding was on top of private schools also receiving $750 million in JobKeeper payments. Don't get me started on that. I mean, really? Yep, they did. While also having access to the $1.2 billion Choice and Affordability Fund to lift outcomes in underperforming schools. Now, Mr. Gavrilato said, quote, Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister for private schools. He has given the most money to the schools that need it the least. A spokesman for Acting Education Minister Stuart Robert said Commonwealth funding for government schools had grown by 64.1% per student over the past decade, compared with 9.6% by the states and territories. No uh, non-government school funding had grown 49.8% per student compared to 15.4% by states and territories. I mean, that's fine. That's great. Just give it to the schools that require it the most, Minister. I would suggest it's not the private outfits. Marcus Paul in the morning. Monday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. Good to have you company. Well, um, after his budget in reply uh, late last week, Anthony Albanese again went on the attack over the weekend, vowing to jail bad aged care operators. Okay, well, that's good uh, good news. Aged care providers who cover up the abuse and neglect of older Australians will face jail time, while operators will also be forced to reveal how much they spent on nursing food and cleaning should Labor win government. Good. A new duty of care will also be introduced with a compensation regime to create a path for class actions against dodgy providers in the events of a breach. 
New civil penalties will also be created for aged care providers who punish workers, residents and families in retaliation for complaints as part of a get-tough approach to build on the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aged Care. Opposition Leader Anthony Albanese who used his budget reply on Thursday to flag his plans to overhaul the troubled system, released further details yesterday about what a Labor government would do should it win the upcoming federal election. Other measures will include giving the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission stronger investigative powers, including to be able to enter and remain in a facility at any time to ensure the safety of residents while gaining full access to documents and records. The details also include the introduction of measures to ensure the 215 minutes of care and nursing that Labor has pledged per resident per day was actually spent on care and clinical support rather than marketing, administration, maintenance and other non-direct care activities. Mr Albanese said yesterday the neglect of our aged care residents has gone on for far too long. The people who built Australia deserve more protection from their government. Can't argue with a single thing he said there. If you care to comment, you can do so on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, well, one of the things that uh, I've spoken about over the last uh, couple of years is dodgy certifiers. Uh, We know there's been issues, whether it be mascot towers or the Opal Towers out there in uh, the Homebush Precinct. Well, over the weekend, we learnt one of the construction industry's dodgiest figures has been permanently banned from working as a private certifier, copying the heaviest sentence handed out to a private certifier in some two decades. The demise of Maurice Frexus's career as a private certifier comes after years of warnings and reprimands by the regulator. In a decision handed down March 30, New South Wales Fair Training said the Dix Gardner Group employee engaged in, quote, unsatisfactory professional conduct. Mr Frexius, that's his surname, issued a construction certificate and an occupation certificate for a large apartment complex in contravention of various revisions of the New South Wales planning laws, the decision said. Mr Frexius issued the five construction certificates for four different developments when the proposed buildings did not comply with relevant requirements of the Building Code of Australia, specifically the requirements in relation to automatic fire sprinklers. The decision to permanently ban Mr Frexius from being a private certifier is the heaviest penalty handed out to a private certifier at in at least 20 years, according to the New South Wales Fair Trading's Disciplinary Register. Now, before this week's decision, Mr Frexius had already racked up $40,000 in fines and three official reprimands. According to New South Wales Fair Trading documents, they included overlooking problems with structural design, emergency egress, access for people with a disability, firefighting equipment and emergency lighting for properties in Woolwich, Glendenning, Putney and also in Jeringong. And on it goes. Well, good. Mr Frexius was the private certifier on Peak Towers, the building next to Mascot Towers, There's been no suggestion, of course, though, that Mr Frexius' certification on peak towers is problematic. 
Around 90 apartment owners in Peak Towers are taking companies Alland and Church 88 to the New South Wales Supreme Court alleging defects and non-complying work which amount to breaches of the statutory warranties. Now, of course, in a separate matter, mascot tower owners are also suing Aland, A-L-A-N-D. Mr. Frexius was not the certifier for mascot towers, nor involved in that development in any capacity. Mascot towers owners want more than $15 million because of alleged negligence excavation work at neighbouring peak towers. It claims Aland's work created a void that undermined the structural integrity of mascot towers, leading to the building's evacuation. Look, what a nightmare for all of these people. Look, and I hope that the banning of this private certifier is just, well, a start. And others, you know, those behind the mascot towers and the opal towers, learn a lesson from this. We can't have people with no one to turn to or nowhere to go when their homes are structurally unsafe. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back. Well, the latest in the Will Smith, Chris Rock slapping saga at the Academy Awards over the weekend, we learnt that Will has resigned from the Oscars Academy in the wake of his slapping of Chris Rock. Uh, He said, I am resigning my membership in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and and Sciences and will accept any further consequences the board deems appropriate. The actor said in a statement on Saturday earlier this week, the Academy had given Smith 15 days notice of a vote on the issue. Now, uh, for his part, Will Smith said he was, quote, heartbroken over the incident and betrayed the trust of the Academy. I directly responded to the Academy's disciplinary hearing notice. My actions at the 94th Academy Awards presentation were shocking, painful and inexcusable. Uh, The list of those I've heard is long and includes Chris and his family, many of my dear friends and loved ones, all of those in attendance and global audiences at home. I betrayed the trust of the Academy. Well, at least he's putting his hand up, isn't he? Absolutely. I deprived other nominees and winners of their opportunity to celebrate and be celebrated for their extraordinary work. I want to put the focus back on those who deserve attention for their achievements and allow the Academy to get back to the incredible work it does. I am committed to doing the work to ensure that I never again allow violence to overtake reason. Well, again, that's owning your actions. Um, He didn't initially, of course, but, well, he kind of did 24 hours later. The Academy has accepted Smith's resignation and said it will continue to move forward with our disciplinary proceedings against the actor. Uh, Look, the uh, the writing perhaps is on the wall. Um, I don't know the name of it, but I was reading over the weekend that Will Smith was working on a... Uh, a new drama which was supposed to air on Netflix or Netflix have put a stop to it. Yeah, they put an absolute stop to it. Uh, And look, perhaps this is the beginning of the end for Will Smith. Other actors, um, you know, who have been deemed, I don't know, a risk, I, I suppose. You know, they've had their careers ended. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. 
Marcus Paul in the morning if you'd like to comment. Marcus.paul at Starter FM or you can leave a note on the Facebook page. On this Monday, good to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM, the iHeartRadio and TuneIn apps and on Prawncast, of course. Well, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison... Uh, he's copying it from everybody at the moment. It seems a get square is coming each way he looks. But he's described the latest allegations about his 2007 Liberal pre-selection as, quote, a bitter and malicious slur, insisting his party is unified ahead of the upcoming federal election, which, by the way, he needs to call. Both the Saturday paper and the Sydney Morning Herald have reported on the contents of statutory declarations signed by two men in 2016 which detail Mr Morrison's battle to be pre-selected for the seat of Cook ahead of rival Michael Tauk. Now, according to the reports, the men claimed that Mr Morrison urged the people not to support Mr Tauk because of his family's Lebanese heritage. The outlets reported Mr Tauk said... They informed me that Morrison was appealing with them not to support me, based solely on the rationale that my family heritage was Lebanese. He was adamant and explicit that a candidate of Lebanese heritage could not hold the seat of Cook, especially after the Cronulla riots. According to a declaration reported by the Sydney Morning Herald, Liberal Party member Scott Chapman wrote that Scott Morrison told me that if Michael Tauk were to be pre-selected, there would be a swing against the Liberal Party in Cook because of Mr Tauk's Lebanese background. Now, at this stage, um, the ABC, uh, which I'm referring to the article here, they weren't able to verify those documents, but Mr Morrison again denied the allegations anyway for a second day while he campaigned in Tasmania yesterday, dismissing them as untrue. It's just simply untrue. These are quite malicious and bitter slurs which are deeply offensive and I reject them, the Prime Minister said. It comes at an interesting time that these vicious personal attacks come on the eve of an election. I'll let people work out their own findings on what's motivating that. I've been around politics a long time, the PM said, and people, when they've had disappointments, whether they be in pre-selections or decisions, can often remain bitter for many, many years. All I can tell you is my record of my relationship with the Lebanese Maronite community in particular, as well as the Lebanese Muslim community, is one that I think stands out. Now, the issue flared this week, of course, when Liberal Senator Conchetta fear of anti-Wells told the Senate Mr Morrison was not fit to be Prime Minister. In that fiery late-night speech, she told the Senate Morrison might profess to be Christian, but there was nothing Christian about what was done to Michael Tauk. Anyway, ScoMo insisted the party was unified as it heads into a federal election campaign. He said, we are totally unified in the Parliamentary Liberal Party. That's one of our great strengths through all the challenges faced as government, he said. Senior Cabinet Ministers have also come to Scott Morrison's defence with the government frontbencher Anne Rustin describing the allegations as, quote, a political hit campaign, unquote. She said it appears to be an orchestrated political hit campaign on the integrity of the Prime Minister in the lead-up to the election. We have to call this out for what it is. It's a political hit by the Prime Minister's enemies on the eve of a campaign. Housing Minister Michael Sukar, who is of Lebanese descent, said there was no greater champion 
for the Australian Lebanese community than the PM. Mr Sukar wrote on Twitter over the weekend, in my experience, there is no MP, let alone PM, who's shown more support, care and respect for the Australian Lebanese community. Anyway, the federal opposition, of course, has seized on the reports with Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers saying the allegations make Mr Morrison appear untrustworthy to the public. He said, I don't think that they believe a word he says about his own pre-selection. If you can't believe him about his own pre-selection, you can't believe him about real wages or the future of the economy. There's a pattern here. The people who know Scott Morrison the best, who've worked with him the longest, think the least of him and trust him even less. Well, what do you make of it? There's a, a post up on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Feel free to leave your comments there. All right, well, that's it for the show this Monday. It's been great having your company for the last couple of hours. We'll be back again tomorrow morning, 7 till 9. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM. Of course, on the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. Uh, I think we're all on the same time frame now, aren't we? Uh, Certainly New South Wales and Queensland. Uh, WA, of course, you know, you're always in front. I could have said that different. Okay, if you care to comment on the program, uh, leave a suggestion, whatever you want to do, you can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And as always, get involved in the debate online. Uh, Of course, on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning. If you don't already follow that, please do. Uh, You can leave your comments there, and and thousands of people do each week, which is wonderful. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on TikTok as well Um, for my silly videos. No, I don't sing and dance or do any of that stuff, and I look terrible in a bikini, uh, but occasionally I'll put up a, a political thing and put some music behind it, and it's amazing how many people actually watch the thing. Um, yeah, it's pretty popular, TikTok. I think I've got over, uh, what am I up to? A couple of thousand likes now already. I've only been on the thing for a couple of weeks. Um, what's my handle on TikTok? At Prawny in the morning one. That's it, at Prawny in the morning one. Anyway, have a wonderful day. Um, there'll be plenty of news to cover again tomorrow morning. I don't know whether the Prime Minister will call an election today. I doubt it. I reckon we'll probably hear um, on Friday. I suspect by Friday uh, we'll know uh, what date we're looking at. I I have a feeling it might be May the 22nd, so the later date in May for this year's federal election. Either way, it feels like we're in a campaign mode already, doesn't it? Have a great day. Catch you tomorrow. Marcus Paul in the morning. Bye now.